from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest that includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and The Head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose-leaf and common broken-leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, They have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Hey everyone, it's me, D.B. Spitzer, and this uh, guy over here to my virtual right this week, Farmer Dave. Dave, how's it going? I am well. That's 
really good to hear. Really good to hear. Uh, things are going pretty swell in Oleander, Oregon. And, uh, yeah, uh, just, let's see. Although, although the thermostat button is broken because it's 60 degrees one night and then the next that's oh, you know yeah. 102 so it changes from day to day and okay so everyone's back masked again oregon state uh everyone's super crabby because the barometric pressure keeps jumping up and down it'll rain one day it'll be like you tell them ralph it'll Ra it, ralph is not happy it is crazy and you know i'm used to the weather in oleander being a little bit more erratic than like say portland or eugene or salem but Oh, man, it is crazy, crazy, crazy all over the state. It's like the rest of the state is experiencing oleanders weather that we normally get, except for it hasn't snowed yet. So it hasn't been an oleander summer until it snows for one day for no reason. No and... meteorolo meteorological clowns yet. <sighs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, Portland I mean, will get them. Yeah, we have, we have, some, we have some theories. Um... I don't know if I'd call them theories, but it's more not like theories. It's proven by science. Oh, okay. It's caused by ghost pirates. Ghost pirates. That's right. That's right. That's science. That is science. That is science. We had those guys. Pseudoscience, but it's still science. We had those guys from that one show. It was crazy. Um, let's see. We've got some sponsored content here. Oblivion's back to school. Hey, parents, why not have a Bloody Mary while uh, the kids are at school? Oblivions get oblivionated, and also Oleander uh, Department Store, owned and operated by the Oleander family since 1890. So uh, back to school sale, 20% off all school supplies and clothing. And for all you fancy schmancy kids out there, the Oleander only uh, brand of furs and uh, luxury boat shoes are available. And if you have fuzzy kids that are going to obedience school, yes, it's a quarter off all flea and tick baths. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, no, back to school. So yeah, we've got the elementary school, we've got the junior high, and we've got the high school. I mean, we're a large enough town that we have an elementary school, high school, and a middle school. Our kids don't have to get bussed somewhere else. But I mean, I don't know. Um, anyway, they, they do buy some of the kids from uh, <laughs> Uh, from the, the, the county, though. Some of yep. the rural areas do come yep, in yep. here. Well, they try and get bust anywhere else other than Oleander. But, you know, I don't know. We've got a reputation. The uh, legend-soaked, uh, witch-haunted, uh, ghost-pirate-drenched city of Oleander, town of Oleander. But, yeah. Uh, hey, so this week we're talking about uh, a wrong turn... And uh, or actually a right turn, this uh, where, where you want to go on 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 this road, uh, and also a demon sultan that's Aylesbury Pike and Azathoth. So and oh, Dave, you've got an interview. Surprise, surprise. Dave has an interview. Let's talk about this interview. Well, yes, it's with uh, author uh, Mike Thorne. Cool. And uh, we're just sort of doing a. Uh, a dive into to Lovecraft. Nice, nice, nice. That's always fun to hear. I, I always love authors' opinions about Lovecraft and, uh, I don't know, the Lovecraft cycle and things that are Lovecrafty and leaning, as I say in the intro. Uh, yeah, no, it's always fun stuff. And uh, 
something fun that we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about Azathoth, but not normally Azathoth how you think of him, but how not to use Azathoth in your Call of Cthulhu or Dungeons & Dragons F20 percentile, what, what whatever type of game you're playing out there. Good ways uh, not uh, to among use other Azathoth. Things, I got yeah. a couple other thoughts about the, the, the wonderful Wizard of Az. Yeah. <laughs> The wonderful, oh wow! We got we got to make a make that a shirt maybe. I don't know. <laughs> We're off to see the as the wonderful, wonderful as. Hey everyone, it's me, Amy. Just reminding you, we have t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com, check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shelf curtains in there. Keep clean. stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you. And welcome back. And if you didn't leave us during that little space as we transitioned, thank you so much. Hey, this is Farmer Dave again, and I have Mike Thorne on uh, today uh, for an interview. Mike, do you want to introduce yourself? For sure. Uh, thanks for having me, David. I look forward to chatting with you. Um, I am the author of the short story collection Darkest Hours, which just came out in an expanded edition through Journal Stone, and the novel Shelter for the Damned, also available through Journal Stone. And my second short story collection, Peel Back and See, comes out in October. Um, I think it's probably the darkest collection slash book I have ever written. So it seems fitting that we'll, we, we will be talking about one of the uh, darkest of figures in the world of weird fiction. Absolutely. And what a wonderful time to have it released around October. Now, if any of our listeners were interested in getting the things that are out now or maybe in October on your, your new collection, where would they find them? They're available through the usual places like Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can get them directly through the publisher, Journal Stone. Um, you can order them through Chapters if you're in Canada. So, yeah, the usual places. Excellent. And we'll, we'll include some links in the, the show notes. Awesome. Uh, so, uh, as you t mentioned, we're talking about Lovecraft. So, uh, maybe getting a little personal here, but how did you discover Lovecraft? I think I initially discovered Lovecraft through Stephen King, who was my gateway into the horror genre uh, in, in the written form. So I, I believe it was probably an interview with King or maybe Dan's Macabre or um, on writing where he cited Lovecraft as an influence. And I thought I should do my homework and read some Lovecraft. And uh, it didn't take me long to totally fall in love with his vision and his style which is so unique and haunting and yeah so i think i think it i can blame it on stephen king so mine is a little bit different it's sort of the standard you know uh, i discovered lovecraft when i was 13 at the uh, oxenard public library in california there was two um arkham house books don't remember which ones it was the burgundy cover and the tan cover and, you know, every six months I would check one of them out. But the person who introduced me to those books was actually my mother. She wow. found them, read them. She I probably someone had told her about sort of a King connection because she was a big King fan and still is. And um, 
And so, yeah, I was actually introduced to uh, Lovecraft through my mother. That's a beautiful thing. I hear the same is true of Richard Stanley, the filmmaker. Apparently, his mother was a a Lovecraft enthusiast. So you're in yes, good company. yes. He, she, uh, I was able to go to a a film festival where he talked about that. That his his mother, I think, actually read him Lovecraft as a, a nighttime stories, <laughs> bedtime stories. That's a beautiful thing. Um, who else? Uh, who else are maybe some of uh, your influences, or or who do you like in the the Lovecraft circle? Well, I was thinking as we were prepping for this interview about the fact that I need to dig deeper into the Lovecraft circle because we would count like Robert E. Howard, Clark Ashton Smith, right? Th those would be two of the biggest figures. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're the unholy tril trilogy. Right. So those two are both major blind spots for me. So I need to I need to do some exploring there. I mean, I love Robert Block, but I haven't read any of Robert Block's Lovecraftian fiction, but I love, um, you know, his psychological horror novels and um, his more straightforward supernatural stuff like The Scarf, Psycho, Psycho 2, um, Laurie, American Gothic. So Block is a is a big influence for sure. But um, and then I'm, I'm a fan of some of the people who influenced Lovecraft, like, of course, Poe is a, you know, a major presence and and someone who I turn to a lot. But yeah, where should I start with Howard and Clark Ashton Smith? What do you recommend? So, um, for for Smith, and I have to admit, I'm slowly but surely picking up on Smith. Uh, he, honestly, his poetry. Okay. I love his poetry. In fact, you probably know this, but Lovecraft wrote him a fanboy letter saying, "You." That's how they got introduced. You are a better poet than I will ever be. Wow. Uh, and and if you like fantasy, of course, really fantasy, um, I would say, and I absolutely love Robert E. Howard. I love how he writes and writes for you know people. I love he 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 is more like the guy sitting around the bar telling a story. Where Lovecraft is giving you this beautiful rate, you know, reciting this beautiful story, you know, uh, Howard. Uh, Robert E. Howard is the guy. He's sitting around the bar telling you this cool story. And if you're interested in Lovecraftian Howard, I would definitely uh, the Blackstone. Okay. And which uh, there's a lot of interesting trivia, but he creates as a favor to his friend Lovecraft Arkham Sanitarium in there. Lovecraft loves Arkham Sanitarium so much that he uses it at the thing in the door. And mm -hmm. then 40 years later, uh, Denny O'Neill and his writing crew are sitting around saying, hey, what are we going to do? We need a, a an name for an insane asylum for Batman, this Batman issue we're about to put out. And they said, I've got it, Arkham. And he, he I, I was also fortunate enough to actually uh, listen to uh, Denny O'Neill before he passed talk about this. And he said, that was our aha moment. So. I would go with, if you're Lovecraftian uh, stories and not say Conan, which are also good stories, I would mm -hmm. go with um, uh, The Blackstone. Okay. And it's not exactly, but still kind of, it's still a really scary story, Pigeons from Hell. Okay. Okay. Noted. I will, I will commit those to memory. And I mean, I love the Conan films that with Schwarzenegger, but I don't know how much those from what I hear, they don't very closely resemble Howard's fiction. 
No, not, not exactly. But uh, I, I, to me, I'm again, um, I have, so I grew up, you know, I had uh, AHAD, but you know, we didn't know what it was like when I was a kid. So I get a lot more out of Lovecraft when I listen to him. To me, Howard's a lot simpler to read. Where Lovecraft, I find for years I was skipping words. And when I start listening to, you know, recordings of him, I'm getting so much more. Where um, you know, it's been said that you know, Lovecraft wrote for the ages, Howard wrote for the masses. And, and I'm kind of the masses there. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, Lovecraft's prose is still, you know, um, I guess kind of polarizing. There are a lot of people who argue that Lovecraft was not a great writer, which I fervently disagree with. I think his prose style is extremely deliberate and the way he piles on the adjectives and constructs these loopy hallucinatory uh, sentence structures. It's, it's all, I think, very carefully calibrated to the effect he wants to achieve, but it's definitely, I mean, it's not uh, quote unquote light reading by any by any means. No, no. And, and, and if you're like me, you find that you, you, you skip words. By all means, I suggest listening to Lovecraft. It's a completely different experience. Interesting. Yeah, I've only ever read him. I do. I do love sinking into Lovecraft's uh, fiction, but I I'll usually, you know, maybe read a couple stories and, and then take a break. I don't blast through his uh, collections as I might with some other writers. So no, no, that's probably the best. Um, so, um, and I think maybe you hit on a little bit on that. Uh, why do you think Lovecraft is still relevant today? I mean, I think a big part of it is, um, the fact that the horror in his, uh, fiction, especially the, I guess now so many people are turning to cosmic horror because I think maybe people start, are starting to get the sense that, we are not as special as we might have anticipated with things like the state of ecological catastrophe and the climate crisis and, and the pandemic as well, revealing to us that we are actually quite fallible. We are quite fragile in many ways. So the way Lovecraft writes about these kind of numinous threats that are always at the peripheries of our existence, um, I think that's that, that that's a really true and distinct kind of horror that will always um, speak to people. And I mean, we've gone through periods where horror is more human focused, more, you might say, humanist. I think now is probably a good time for a rebuttal to humanist horror with the Lovecraftian tradition. So maybe that's it. But I don't know. It's probably different for different readers and, and things like that. And absolutely. And and I think you're right, too, that, you know, we, we see things like this, you know, the, the elder gods and, the, you know, the great old ones, they just they don't care about you. Mm -hmm. It's not as they don't they you don't even matter enough for them to, to really hate. You're the ant they're stepping on. Yes. And, and they're they're sort of like glo uh, oh, uh, global warming or forest fires or earthquakes. They're not malicious on our level. That's they're way above that. And, and I think there's definitely you're right. I think sort of an attraction to that and that we're in this world now that we feel like the outsider stuck in these cosmic forces. Yes, exactly. That's exactly I and I like the way you describe that indifference, this uh, cosmic indifference and the elder gods are just such a wonderfully scary and vivid 
representation of that. Thank you. And now, uh, do you use cosmic horror or maybe Lovecraftian throp, uh, tropes in your story writing? Or I do. It's it's interesting. I'm actually writing an essay right now for an anthology on the history of weird fiction, and I've been oh, okay. tasked. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting assignment because I've been tasked with writing about my own fiction within that tradition. So it's something I've been thinking about, and I think. Uh, my fiction often emphasizes very visceral and bodily experiences, um, really kind of uh, tactile body horror, which isn't necessarily something you associate with cosmic horror or weird fiction. But I often use that kind of tactile embodied experience to gesture to something bigger. So my novel Shelter for the Damned deliberately kind of ambiguates the origin of the shack in the novel where does it come from what does it want what is it exactly so i think there's an there's definitely a thread of cosmic horror in that novel um and throughout all my fiction uh, there's a an occult ritual in a story called mictian diabolus from uh darkest hours that includes this kind of tentacled being that is summoned um and the, the first story in, in my next collection, uh, it's a story called Havoc in the book Peel Back and See. It has a lot of explicitly Lovecraftian imagery, too, but I'm bringing it to the contemporary age. So this live feed that gives us a kind of view of another dimension, I, mm. I guess. Yeah. So it's it's I, I guess you would say it's all over my work. Lovecraft looms large. Excellent. Excellent. Now, um, this is kind of a fun question I try to ask everybody, but let's say you were placed in ch charge of one mythos-related project. Any medium, money doesn't matter. What is your dream project? Oh, that is a very good question. I'd love to do a film of one of Lovecraft's pieces i know stuart gordon already did a terrific masters of horror episode with dreams in the witch house yes. but i'd love to interpret that for cinema i think you could do some wildly psychedelic crazy visual stuff with that piece so that's my go-to right now i think uh, just off the top of my head yeah yeah the the visuals in that house and the idea is sort of this house being bigger on the inside and and the, the the dimensions don't quite add up. I think Lovecraft was way ahead of his time there. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. You can even like faintly see the imprint of that story on like um, uh, the book House of Leaves. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. No, that's a terrific. I love that. So, and uh, yeah, you're right that 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 things he's doing with the the dimensional shift or the, the dimensional illusions. I just feel like that could be fascinating to visualize on screen, you know? Oh, absolutely. And, and this whole concept that magic is just a form of math. Yes, you, yes. You know, we've, we've got many for magic is a science we don't understand, but he's nailing it down. No, it's not even that, it's math. It's specifically math is magic. I, I love that concept. Definitely. And come to think of it, I just rewatched... Um, the Darren Aronofsky film Pi, that actually seems to have a Lovecraftian aspect in, in that sense, too. Um, this attempt to uh, capture or access some sort of order in the universe via mathematics 
and discovering that all one can actually capture is disorder and chaos. There's something Lovecraftian about that just dawned on me. Kind of a tangent. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I, I've heard that too. So a great observation. I don't know why I was thinking while we're talking, you know, like maybe, maybe just like, you know, there's elder gods or great old ones that are composed of sound. Maybe there's this great old one that is pure math. Ooh. And, oh, that's and just a, if a human being, you know, it would immediately drive a human being crazy because it's going to be. A... Yeah. Well, and think of how many human beings have been driven mad by the pursuit of mathematical, quote unquote, truth. That's an yeah. interesting concept. I love that. Yeah, I would think I mean, it changes when I think of this, but I think I would like to do sort of maybe art house retelling of the hound mm. with two female protagonists basically tr going across Europe. Cool. Well, I'd love to see that. Well, hopefully someday. I'm about out of time, but I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, anything else you maybe thought of or just like to throw out? Um, well, I guess something that might be exciting to listeners is that, uh, the director, Jamie Blanks, who did Urban Legend and Valentine, uh -huh. um, he and I have become close friends over the past year and we're working on a screen treatment for my novel, Shelter for the Damned. So we're hoping that gets picked up, fingers crossed. But fingers would, and tentacles crossed for you. Fingers and tentacles crossed. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, um, yeah, that's going on and, uh. Look out for Peel Back and See coming October, I guess. And, okay, excellent. And again, we will have some links uh, in the show notes. And congratulations on um, your your stories and hopefully future projects. And we'll see. I'd love to maybe have you on again uh, closer to October. That sounds great, David. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show, now to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. And remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. Hey, everyone, it's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Glary. Glary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Glary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20 watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under $80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks, check out the show notes. 
get a glary. Hey everyone, this is DB here. I'd like to thank everyone for listening and also go to the show notes and check out some of our sponsors like Curve Girl. Get your curve on, ladies, and curvy guys, I guess, too. And, uh, yeah, no, plus-size women clothing. Check the show notes for that. We've got CBD from Golden Goat CBD Chewables and Delta 8. Look up what Delta 8 is. I don't have time to explain it in this commercial. And, of course, use the show notes to get special discounts and uh, let them know that I sent you. Uh, Let's see, who else do we have? We also have Copper Cow, which is a Vietnamese pour-over coffee. Check them out. Highly recommend them. So good. And, of course, share a deal. Do you want to find out how to have cool sponsors on your podcast, on your website, on your YouTube channel, any project you've got going on that you can put an HTML code on? Do that. Find people. Uh, they figure out whether or not you're a good fit for them. Then, you know, you don't have to send out these stupid surveys and bug your listeners or your viewers or your your fans being like, oh, how old are you? What kind of stuff do you like? No data mining. I just guess and hope for the best. <laughs> and you know what? If there's something, if there's a deal out there you want, if there's something you want... Track me down. I'll find it on share, uh, 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 share a sale, and uh, we'll all be happy. So hey, help the show. Help, help the show grow. If you don't want to hear these ads, go to Patreon. We've got the Patreon and the show links, and you don't have to hear these ads and help keep the show growing. And if you do like these ads and you want stuff, let us know. And share a sale is where it's at. Here we go. Back with the show right now. everyone we are back me and dave and ralph and the goats uh i mean i'm I'm over in my neck of the woods and dave's over in his neck of the woods and it's just easier to skype because i mean farmer dave's got to watch the farm and i've got to make sure the graveyard stays in one spot so hey uh... it, it has moved <laughs> you look at old maps of the city and it literally has them on the other side of Crap Creek, and no one thinks that Crap Creek moved. Here's the thing about it: it's uh, it's it's like it rotated 180 degrees. It's very symmetrical. The rotation of the cemetery. I mean, what I'm trying to say is, I don't know the cemetery. It's, it's like the magnetic poles. It flops once in a while. <laughs> the cemetery uh, is is. Uh, has has good symmetry. I don't know. I I I don't know the pun I was trying to make there. Uh, maybe someone someone you write in if you knew what I was trying to make there, and then like bailed on my joke halfway through. So hey, uh, less about town, more about clowning around with the Cthulhu mythos. That is not a segment. That's me improvising badly. Uh, yeah, so we are uh, now going into Dave's corner of the podcast, where Dave, y- you have some feelings about Azathoth. 
Yeah, so so you want me to talk about Azathoth as a game tool or in gaming first, or just my, my sort of uh, revelation of Azathoth? Let's go with uh, revelation first. So Azathoth is not only the most powerful deity, most powerful god, in the Cthulhu mythos, mm-hmm. if he wakes up, everything disappears, right? Sure, yeah. He, if he if he gains what we understand as sentience, mm-hmm. everything disappears. Yes. He is not only the most powerful. The next closest deity would be, I think, Yog Sagoth, mm-hmm. and I think we're fair to say he's light years above Yog Sagoth. Yes. So not only is Azathoth the most powerful deity mm-hmm. he's the most powerful deity yeah. period yeah yeah you know god god the christian judeo muslim version of god is constant yeah but this, this there's no thought that if god changes a little bit of his sleep patterns that the universe is going to get rewritten mm-hmm. zeus can't do that Quetzalcoatl can't do it he is in essence the universe is like his stage one REM sleep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We call him an idiot, not because he's an idiot, because his intelligence is so different and so beyond human beings that it just, thank you, Ralph, he he just can't perceive. So he is not only, he is the most, and I'm not saying, oh, Azathoth is more powerful than Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. I'm Mm -hmm. saying, is a conceptual as you know tokens and figures, American gods, gaming type way. Azathoth is the most powerful, fictitious deity ever created. Mm-hmm. True. Yes. <laughs> Except for other over, other deities that up. that are that are you know pretty much the same as Azathoth. Just like any kind of deity where it's like oh if they wake up everything ends like any kind of deity that's like i'm the personification of existence if i cease to exist or if my state changes things change but yeah reality no, changes definitely definitely yeah no it's i i feel like azathoth is uh, or, or 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 this concept of azathoth because what i was going to talk about is a little different this concept of azathoth is like azathoth is a reality you know gives us a place to all exist while Yog sothoth gives us, uh, you know, a place specific and, you know, a time in which to do it. You know, it's, it's, they're all very, you know, they're physics. They're giant physics space ghosts, monsters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and what, uh, I'm sorry, uh, is, is there anything else you wanted to talk about with that as a thought in this, this manner? Well, well that just, you know, because, I don't think of any, at least Lovecraftian story, mm-hmm. where it's the main character. No, no. I think he's sort of set up because I think I think Lovecraft understood that it was just too powerful. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, you know, he's sort of the he's the primal atomic form. Yeah. And this was, you know, mid twenties, late twenties, early to mid thirties. So it's not like nuclear power was invented mm-hmm. in the Manhattan Project. 
No. So that they understood radiation. They understood fission and fusion. And I'm sure that Lovecraft read, you know, popular science and that was where, you know, it was probably exploited. So the whole idea, you know, that he is, you know, basically the nuclear core of the universe mm -hmm. and that, you know, I think that I think that came through sort of Lovecraft reading about the first, you know, real nuclear experiments. Not not the first atom splitting, mm -hmm. but the first real nuclear experiments, which a lot of them took place in Germany, but a lot of them took place not too far away in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. That is, uh, that's true. That's true. Uh, some people, I don't know who to cite, if it's Ken Height, S.T. Joshi, uh, someone and it was either at a panel i think it was at a panel uh i believe was talking about azathoth uh being the uh nuclear chaos uh, doesn't refer to anything even dealing with uh, atomic energy power anything like that but more of like the family nucleus of the uh cthulhu mythos kind of like the center mm. of chaos the not, not well, kind of like the idiot eye of the storm, more or less. But yeah, yeah, that's 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 one thing I've heard. That's one thing I've heard. So that's that's kind of a theory that's out there. I mean, that's 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 like some people's like, well, this is what I think of Azathoth, and it's totally different of even what I think of Azathoth. So <laughs> yeah, but that's an interesting thought. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, uh, what I've used Azathoth as, and like even it's like really hard to. Uh, and this isn't even like how I've used Azathoth or how not to use Azathoth, but in my games and even in like some writing that I've done, uh, I, I pretty much have had like people kind of say, "What you think of Azathoth as is kind of like a cargo cult. It's not Azathoth is uh, Azathoth is." the uh like um our reality as we understand it is the shadow of a multi-dimensional being knows known as azathoth um and azathoth even existing like we live within like the like it's like a multi-dimensional creature casts a multi-dimensional shadow we live within the shadow and it's kind of like if azathoth ceased to exist our shadow ceases to exist, you know, like the universe, the three-dimensional universe is Azathoth's is shadows, and the things that live within it that are of a higher intelligence or even multidimensional creatures understand this. This this goes into a lot of, like, a lot of what we understand about the Cthulhu mythos being is just a cargo cult, and mm. that the Migo just never correct us because it's easier to manipulate us if yeah. we don't understand it quite fully. And if we think that Cthulhu is a mountain squid thing instead of actually some sort of complex biosecurity system, that's better if, like, the ape people are afraid of stuff. Let's even put stuff out there that freaks, with, freaks them out some, you know? Uh... <laughs> Sure. I don't know. Those are those are just theories and ideas for writings and stuff that I'm working on. But anyway, so you were gonna talk about how not to use Azathoth in a campaign. Yeah, so I was in junior high school and there was a back in the the mid eighties or early eighties, 
And so there was sort of this, the first sort of a, a role-playing club. So they were sort of integrating a bunch of different campaigns. Uh-huh. And so, you know, I had a character for this. And so I was going to meet in like this underground base where it is. And then one other character basically backstabbed my ninth level uh, magic user because this was still first edition. You know, this was still a D and D. Yeah. And he scores 173 hit point damage. Uh, he says, "Yeah, your soul has been taken, and now it's gone to Azathoth, who gave me this sword." And, and basically, yeah, that's and, and I, I, you know, I can't blame these guys who were running it because mm-hmm. they got a lot of this from that D and D. The monster uh, deities and demigods, yeah, that really sort of took a Delerthian heresy view of good and evil. Yeah. You know, Azathoth is not Azathoth is chaotic neutral. It's just chaos. It's not chaotic evil. Mm-hmm. But so they basically ran Azathoth as you know, um, you know, black. Philip making deals and you're gonna have delicious hit points and and and, and Azathoth doesn't even know they exist. Yeah. And this whole time I'm getting this lecture about and I'm thinking, dude, you've never read the books. And, and so you know what there are. If you wanted to have, you know, whatever you wanted to have a, a bad guy called, you know, uh, sure, you know that's a there's always Narlahotep, you know, or, or the, uh, you know, the, uh, 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 Das Potter, which is, I think, a terribly unused mm-hmm. or underused villain. But yeah, it, it sort of always bothered me, especially then you just knock out my ninth level character and one backstab, mm-hmm. and you're a fighter, not even a thief. Yeah. You know, uh, it's, um, yeah, you know, and and you know what? If that's your game, okay, hey, that's fine. But yeah, it always sort of bothered me that you know, Azathoth is this character. That, I mean, reality is his dreams, mm-hmm. and that they had him basically like uh, you know the Satan from a, a heavy metal band. So yeah, yeah. My suggestion is don't don't treat Azathoth as you know Beelzebub or any of these other lesser demons. You know, make him the raw power of the universe. So here's the thing I was going to kvetch about, and this, this I think, is maybe where your group got this. The whole concept of Azathoth being a quote-unquote demon sultan, mm-hmm. I think, has steered a lot of people the wrong way. I've dealt with, uh, like, this is a middle school thing, early high school, uh, like, someone who reads a bit of uh, Lovecraft, but... Or, or, or is, like, scanning through stuff but doesn't really pay much attention and scans across the phrase Demon Sultan and goes, okay, I know. I'll create a kind of, like, really kind of classic, uh, I don't know, stereotype of a uh, sultan but give him demon powers and a palace and a harem and tigers and make it very kind of i don't know a thousand and one arabian nights and yeah just have kind of like i don't know uh which well, sounds like an avatar of narlahotep to me yeah 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 no no but um that, that sounds like a really cool avatar of narlahotep 
and maybe they call themselves Azathoth, the Demon Sultan, but... <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and actually I've read some, some uh, short stories where Nahotep tried to pass himself self off as Azathoth and got caught. <laughs> but yeah, hey, there's, there's some ideas on how to use Azathoth and how not to use Azathoth. And yeah, all right, so... I don't know. I feel like I butted in on Dave's corner. Uh, no, that's okay. You're you're always invited into the, the corner. Oh, that's good. That's good. So up next, we're going to be talking about Aylesbury Pike. Dave, what do you know about Aylesbury Pike? Well... <laughs> At first, very little. Just yeah. vaguely, it's mentioned as, I think, the road to Dunwich. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, apparently, though, the city of Aylesbury, mm-hmm. uh, I did a little research, is only mentioned in um, poems, in the, the the fungi from Yugoth poems. Oh, yeah. But it is always sort of considered to have been part of the greater uh, Lovecraft country. Yeah. Um, so, and I came across uh, on um, just when we were discussing this, uh, you know, I had to kind of look it up. I got, well, Pike is obviously, you know, a, a highway. I'm mm-hmm. sure that Lovecraft yeah. used it somewhere. Sure. But at about the same time, I came up uh, across, and this is, you can find it, it's pay what you want uh-huh. on drive through RPG online. And it is called. Arkham Quarterly, and it was about three or four uh, fan-produced but high-quality um, Chaosium called Cthulhu um, uh, magazine. Oh, cool! And their zero, their zero edition, which is like I said, it's pay for what you want, mm-hmm. uh, is um, all about Alsbury Pike. Oh, wow! Cool, very cool. Well, what kind of stuff did you glean from this? Well, one sort of really cool. So it had a, uh, and uh, you know, it's online. Uh, I'm trying, but if if you were to print it out, it would be 45 pages. Okay. And so one thing, and it has some like where the Owlsbury Pike goes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's got like the whole history, and, and I'm assuming these people had to write a lot of that up because yeah. Lovecraft. I don't think really covered much about it, mm-hmm. but um, you know, it, it sounds like, I mean, they've done a lot of research on new England highways, especially, you know, pre um, Eisenhower presidency, you know, that was his uh-huh, big uh-huh. thing in the fifties. Yeah. Uh, and so it is, I mean, even, you know, and, 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 you know, 1917, it was this road that became this road. Mm-hmm. Okay, that sounds completely uh, believable. Yeah. Uh, and it has a Alsbury Pike Phantom, which is based on one of my favorite sort of urban uh, myth, uh, myths or uh-huh. uh, urban legend tropes, which, which is the Phantom Hitchhiker. Ooh. Uh, and, and it gives you like, all, all, you know, uh, and probably the most famous of that is Resurrection Mary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it gives you a whole bunch of different versions. It gives you like three different, you know, causes or three different mythos entities. 
Uh, it also has, you know, sort of a, uh, a tunnel, which, you know, I, I, you know, I'm a West Coaster, but, you know, it makes sense that there are probably a lot of tunnels in that area that mm-hmm. a road goes through. Yeah. And, and yeah, the tunnel is, is can be short, but tunnels are scary. Yeah. Uh, and um, it does also have a mention of all, and this was, I think, published in 2011 and redone mm-hmm. in 2016. But at the time, all of the Cthulhu, I mean, Chaosium Call of Cthulhu modules that included Ellsbury Pike, mm-hmm. um, uh, the Dig, uh, uh, the the Watcher in the Valley, mm-hmm. which was a part of the the Mesotonic Valley. Yep, uh, yep. Adventures, uh, Freak Show, mm-hmm. uh, and then probably the one that's most famous that they've redone for seventh edition is Deadlight. Yeah, and, and and you know I've read through and I kind of I didn't realize it didn't dawn you know Dead Pike Deadlight takes place on Alsbury Pike. Of mm-hmm. course it does. Huh. Cool. So, what did you have maybe about Ellsbury Pike? Well, I, I I didn't do anything about Ellsbury Pike. I was thinking, oh, could we do something about like uh, taking the wrong turn or and oh, okay and 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 then I was like, eh, I don't want to do that. And then I went, wait a minute, what if I look up towns like where would Ellsbury be? What county would it be? What kind of small little towns? Like I I imagine it's a small little town. It's not a big town. It's, you know, uh, something of that size. What would it be known for? Why, why would you go from Aylesbury up to New Hampshire? Why, why does Al- the Aylesbury Pike go all the way out to Boston? And then, and uh, it would have to be an uh, industrial town. It would have to be a, a town that produces, like, machinery, uh, grows industrial crops, uh, it's it's not it's 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 uh, not a livestock town because of how far north it is in Massachusetts. In uh, it would be in Worcester County, Massachusetts, and <laughs> um, it like places out there. Like uh, historically, they would be like uh, towns that like grew um, <clears throat> like plants for industrial uses. Uh, I think I said that already, but also would have been like the kinds of towns where you had like your militia training and stuff like that way kind of far away from the big cities, away from the British. And then, you know, you have those are the towns that are then named after, you know, they go from towns with names like, um, you know, the original, like whatever the people who first called it, named it like South Northbridge or something like that, or you know, Riverbend or something like that. And then they go, oh, let's name it after this guy who started this militia and then helped us defeat the British and we're all patriotic. So it gets some name like Aylesbury or something like that. Or maybe that's like, you know, uh, they decide to name it again in the 1800s after like the guy who was a, uh, this is an idea for Call of Cthulhu, uh, the guy who was like a... uh, Revolutionary War, uh, I don't know, Colonel or something like that, they ended up finding out that maybe he was of the Marsh family or something like that, and is that uh, Innsmouth line, and they're like, yikes. Anyway, something like that. You know, maybe maybe kind of like, well, uh, it it, it is the original Ellsbury. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
that you know that sort of like the uh, case of uh, Charles Dexter Ward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the the other thing I I definitely found out is that a town of that size, where it's at, it would have been a mill town. It would have probably produced like clothing. It would have produced like boots, but definitely probably would have been like some sort of millery town that then like as industrialization grew it grew alongside with it and by the time of lovecraft's era it's it's like boot factories or they make thimbles or they make the spinning wheels for sewing machines that then get shipped uh west to chicago and then you know that kind of thing it's uh kind of like they make one part or you know they have like a mill town that like makes blankets or shirts or some, something like that. I mean, there's really no reason to go to Aylesbury Pike other than to get lost. <laughs> I mean, that's what it exists and, and, and for. And believe me, I have, I have made some bad turns off of what I thought were like roads, especially when I moved first to Oregon. Mm-hmm. And, oh, it is. It is even now. It is easy to get lost in something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I definitely have uh, wrong turns. If if we want to go down this road, pun intended, real quick. I mean, there's been times that I've definitely like been with my family. I don't drive or been with someone, and you take a wrong turn, and then you're like, "What hillbilly hell have we stepped into?" <laughs> Not to be discouraging towards anyone in their uh, lawn decorating style, but when it looks like you know something out of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and you're like, "How fast can we back out of here without being noticed?" Oh, uh, look, it's the cast <laughs> of Deliverance. Yeah. It's like the hills have eyes. (laughs) And so do the foothills of these mountains, apparently. But yeah, no, no. Oh, you know what? I had a thought. I'll just throw that out. Oh, sure. What if the hill is a dirt-covered shagoth? Ooh. Then it literally would have eyes. It would have eyes if the hills have eyes. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. That's free bonus idea for your next uh, COC campaign. The hills have eyes because they're shoggoths. <laughs> There's our new T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. It probably hurt too that uh, Mike and I are talking about making a uh, a, a uh, creature. You know how they have fire creatures of fire, creatures uh-huh. of sound, and yeah. gods made of sound. Mm-hmm. A, a outer god made of pure math. Ooh, I thought that was Dialoth or something. <laughs> no, wait a minute. No, that, that, that's 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 a god made of rods and cones. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us again for People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I've been one of your hosts, D.B. Spitzer. Our other host, Farmer Dave, is right over here. Dave, say goodbye to the nice people. Night. Goodbye, nice people. All right, thank and you. And think about your evil ways, bad people. Yeah, or don't, because you're bad. And uh, remember to, if you're good or bad, or don't even subscribe to those kinds of ideals. Rate, review, subscribe. Tell your ma, tell your pa, or I'll ship you down to Sathagwa. Uh, check out the shop, get a cool t-shirt like that, and hey... All these ads that you've heard throughout the show, check out the show notes if you want a cool guitar, or if you want to check out that tea or that coffee, or that clothing, or whatever else. Thank you again so much. Uh, We'll see you next time with, I think, the back-to-school episode, and 
Have a great one, everyone. Goodbye. Bye.